So I had the good fortune this week of bringing my kids to Grace Kids Camp, and they had a ball. They got to hang out with friends and just really be served by this Grace community, and it was amazing. And uh, one of my favorite parts of it was meeting, seeing Shane every day, Pastor Shane, who's, who's been preaching. And um, Shane, as you guys know, Shane's a pretty big human, you know? And I think that people, when they see somebody like Shane, who has a lot on their shoulders, Shane's got a lot on his shoulders. And I think we kind of just assume that because they're big, they can handle it. At least that's kind of how I feel. But I just noticed a spring in his step as he said hello to me every single day. And I think I'm taking credit for it. And it might not be all my credit, but I think it's because I'm preaching this week and he was able to take a week off. So uh, the only reason I share that is I want to encourage you guys to be praying for all the people in leadership and service here at Grace because um, it's really easy to be served by the church, but not everybody is conscious of the fact that the pastors and leaders and staff need to be served as well, and community is all about serving each other. So, um, yeah, just, I'm just super thankful for this community and, and what they're doing. Uh, Shane talked last week about King David, and so... I figured the timing was probably good. This, all, this wasn't planned. He didn't, he didn't speak about King David and then invite David Wise to come speak. Uh, it just worked out. But I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to share a little bit from Ecclesiastes, which was written by David's son Solomon. And what's um, kind of ironic about David and Solomon, is I was a little bit tempted to name my kid Solomon because my, my son, uh, my second child was a boy. When we were thinking about names, I was like, oh, maybe I'll name him Solomon because it'll take the pressure off me for the rest of my life. <laughs> Anytime anybody needs something or wants something, I'll just point him to Solomon because he is the wisest of all time. Solomon was the king of Israel and he started out his career, if you could call it a career, uh, with a conversation with the Lord where the Lord said, kind of what we all hope somebody will say to us at some point in our lives, what do you want? If you could have anything, what would you have? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God gave it to him. And through that wisdom, Solomon became the most powerful most wealthy person of all time, potentially still to this day. Who knows? How are we going to compare all that? But through Solomon's life, uh, I'm going to illustrate something that I think we can all take to heart about success and fame and glory and money and all those other things that our society or our culture or even our internal conversation we have with ourselves, we tell ourselves that's what I need to be happy. Um, so starting Ecclesiastes 1.16, I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom, everything from wisdom to madness and folly. 
but I learn firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my, my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really, really worthwhile anywhere. That's a pretty big list of things that Solomon has. It's, I mean, he's really saying to us through the word that he has had everything it could be possible to desire in, in a worldly sense, and still none of it was satisfying. Um, Ecclesiastes is 16 chapters long. I really feel like it's probably one of those books of the Bible you should read the whole thing and not just use a portion of it, so I'm breaking my own rule. But I encourage you guys to read all, of, all 16 chapters of it because um, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a spiritual roller coaster. There's a little bit of darkness in it. I think that Solomon was writing this from a place of, um, I don't know, I don't even want to guess what place he was writing it from, but there is a lot of wisdom in it. There's also some, in some ways it feels cynical to me. I'm like, if, yeah, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's one of the things he repeats most often. But the reason I included this this morning is because I can relate to Solomon. In my career, I started out, uh, I pretty much just after I turned professional. So, meaning I was making more money. In my mind, the definition of professional is making more money than you're spending on skiing. I would win a couple contests. <laughs> and like my first year that I tell myself I was a pro, I think I made like two grand at the end of the year. And <laughs> so, um, but shortly after I turned pro, uh, there, the, it was announced that my sport was gonna become uh, an Olympic event. So timing was really perfect for me uh, because that was when I really figured out the mental side of competing well. And going into the first Olympics, I was kind of on a hot streak. I had had a whole season uh, the year before the Olympics. So the, the season of 2013, I won every single major competition. And then I went into the Olympics, rode this wave, cleaned through, and won the first ever half-pipe Olympic gold medal. Yeah, glory to God. Glory to God. It's, it's fun for me looking back on that story now and realizing how much God has done and who, because the person that I am now is so different from the person that won that first Olympic gold medal. But the, I want to join Solomon in telling you that 
what, whatever the voice is, whether it's society, whether it's TV, Instagram, social media, whatever it is that's telling you that if you get a certain thing, then you're going to be happy. I've had all of those things. I can join Solomon in saying, I have been the absolute best at one thing, just one. I've been the absolute best twice. And I was the second best the third time. <laughs> um, so I really, and I, I've, I've done a lot of things that I never expected to do. I've gone to Oscar parties. I've met all, and they, they say, never meet your heroes. Uh, that is true. I have met, I won't tell you which ones because somebody will put this on the internet and then I'll be in a real firestorm. But I've met some famous people that I was like, oh wow, I wish I had not met you. I'll never look at your movies the same again. So I've, I've rubbed elbows in, in realms that I never expected, I never thought would, would be possible. And success, wealth, fame, respect, um, fancy cars, you know. I think I lived an early part of my life thinking, if I get that, then I'll be happy. If I get success, then I'll be happy. If I get glory, then I'll be happy. Glory for myself, not glory for God. If then. And um, what I found out by getting to the very top and having these experiences is that they are, while they are temporarily satisfying, while um, good fortune or, um, you know, just amazing opportunities give you a, sem a temporary sense of happiness, they really don't give you what I want for everyone and what I've experienced based on God's grace, which is joy. So um, I want to do a little mental exercise with you guys. I want you to try to think of the most thirsty you've ever been in your life. And I'm going to tell you a little story about the most thirsty I've ever been. But I want you to think about that feeling. Because the analogy is, I think that <clears throat> there's some similarities between that thirst that we've all felt once or twice or five times in our lives or 50 times and the immediate satisfaction we get from drinking that first gulp of water but the reality is you wake up the next day thirsty again. And that's what attaining wealth, success, glory, and fame is like. Especially for me, having gone to something that's so iconic as the Olympics and won a gold medal, I was hungry. I was hungry for that gold medal. I was hungry to um, accomplish something on a pair of skis that had never been done before. And that sense right as I landed that last run was like that first gulp of water. I was like, wow, that was satisfying. But I woke up the next day just as hungry as I was the day before. So uh, once upon a time, I was bow hunting by myself uh, in the wilderness. I was backpacked in nine miles, and um, I was filming, filming it myself. So I had probably 45 pounds of backpacking gear, 15 pounds of camera gear, water, and then I was successful, so I was carrying quite a bit of meat 
out. So nine miles in, and the trail out was mostly up, and the last, like, two miles was down. And I took a break somewhere. So I, it was the middle of the day, and I took a break about a third of the way in, and there was a nice steep, I was on a flat trail, but the hillside next to it was really steep. So when you're carrying over 100 pounds on your back, in your backpack, it's really nice to find something steep because you can set yourself down, take the weight, the load off for a little bit, and then kind of lever yourself back up without having to like get on your hands and knees and push yourself up. Um, so I sat down on the hillside, didn't realize that I had sat on the little hose of my water pack. I'd sat the, my backpack on top of it. So I'm sitting there thinking I'm having the best time taking a break in the shade here. Meanwhile, all my water is just draining off into the mountainside. So I stood up, walked a little further, went to take a drink, and it was bone dry. And I realized I have about six more miles to go in this hike and no water. I'm a fairly savvy outdoor person. I wouldn't go out by myself without having an awareness of where the water sources are, where I can get more water. I knew about four miles from here, there is another source of water. I can go to the spring, get some more water. So that became my new goal. Instead of getting out of the wilderness, I was getting to this next spring. I arrive at the spring, and I have never been more thirsty. It was a hot day. This is, the, this is the later part of August, where it's just like everything's already dry around you, and the, the ground just boils you. Like, you just feel that heat coming off. I was so hot, so dehydrated. Um, my legs had started to cramp, where every step you take, and when I'm carrying 115 pounds, I'm kind of like taking really ginger steps, because as soon as you get that really bad cramp, it's game over. Roll up to this spring, and there is a dead moose in the water. So you have to come to the Q&A to find out what, what I did. But <laughs> I told that elaborate story so you guys could walk with me and experience that thirst in your minds. It's so satisfying taking that first gulp. So satisfying, but it's fleeting. I woke up the next day thirsty. I've been thirsty every day, every day since. And that's what success and fame, fame and money and glory are like. Yes, they may be temporarily satisfying, but they're not going to give you a true sense of joy. So I included some verses from my, my homie Paul because um, I think he's experienced, I think Paul, I mean, all of the, all the disciples, all the apostles experienced great persecution and trials in their lives, but Paul experienced more persecution than I've ever experienced, and I think anybody within the sound of my voice has ever experienced. But it's well known among theologians that he also wrote about joy, constantly wrote about joy. So um, this is 2 Corinthians 11.24. This is some of the stuff. This is just a list of what Paul has been through. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. The reason that they, well, some Bibles translated as 40 minus one. Five times they gave me 40 lashes minus one. And part of the reason, or it was well known in that day with those gnarly cattail whips that they used, that 40 lashes would kill you. 
So 39 lashes was the utmost that a human could endure without dying. So five times he's been whipped one lash away from death. Um, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. There's another opportunity that he had for death. Most people die from stoning. Stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I read that list, and it's hard for me to make the mental leap from a guy who has been through all that to one of the most eloquently strong speakers about joy. And so I want to draw your attention to the difference between happiness and joy. I think that happiness is kind of, at least this is how I see it, happiness is kind of a reaction to good times. You know, if, I, if, I was, if there was a roller coaster in the parking lot and we went out and rode it, I would have some real good temporary happiness because I love the feeling of flying and falling and dropping. You guys saw that in the video earlier. I would have happiness from that, um, <clears throat> but not necessarily joy. And so I think when we spend so much time on these things that society tells us to spend time on, it's actually happiness we're seeking, not joy. So um, there's a couple things that I think joyful people inhabit. And this is not an exhaustive list, list but it's something that I see a lot um, when I look at people who are really joyful, when I think deeply about why is that person so joyful? These are some things that they have. Joyful people are grateful. And I think that some, sometimes I fall into the illusion that gratitude in the same way as happiness is a reaction to good fortune. Like, oh, I'll be thankful when I get what I want. But what Paul shows us is that gratitude is a state of mind. It's a state of existence, and there's always something to be thankful for. If you're within the sound of my voice, you're a child of the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. You are loved so much that he sent his son to die for you because he wanted to have a one-on-one interactive relationship with you. If the list stops right there, that's enough of a list. And I'm not trying to speak down on you. I'm, I'm more trying to speak around to you because I struggle with this too. I struggle with being grateful when, time, when times are hard. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's weighing you down. But um, joyful people, the true root, I think, of joy is gratitude. And I think it's, it's a good mental exercise for me sometimes when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling angry to just list off, the, go down the list, starting with child of the king, husband, father, 
guy who gets to ski for fun and get paid for it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's just a good exercise to remind yourself all the things that you're thankful for because it diminishes the things that are bothering you. Um, <clears throat> joyful people are externally focused. And this idea of external focus to me is really important um, starting from our relationship with the Heavenly Father. Because to be truly externally focused, um, God made us for a relationship with him. And so trying to, instead of being internally focused, which is my, what I fall back into when I'm spiritually distant from God, um, rather than being internally, internally focused, if I focus my attention on God and his glory and his purpose for my life, um, all of a sudden, the subtle problems that bother me start to diminish little by little. And then once you've taken that step where you're externally focused on God and his purpose for your life, uh, the next step, because naturally what he's going to ask you to do then is be externally focused on the people around you. What, instead of asking yourself, what can God and everyone else do for me? Ask yourself, what can I do to praise God because of his love for me, and what can I do for those around me? And a huge part of um, the, the, the success I've had in the latter part of my career, because I'll be honest, the guy who won gold in 2014 was very internally focused. I was here and there externally focused, but most of the time I was worried about myself and winning things and doing all that. But as I matured in my career and kind of took on more of a veteran role, I was the oldest guy on the team this past Olympics. If I go for another one, I'll be definitely the oldest guy. Um, but I started like experiencing the sport, not only for myself, but through my fellow competitors' eyes. I started saying, wow, that's so cool. And, and I actually, most of the times that I've done well, uh, I'm focusing on kind of using skiing as an act of worship. I'm up, I'm up there, Literally, I feel like God made snow with people like me and mine, and I have an opportunity to go out there and worship him. I'm not very musically talented. You know, I could probably practice a lot and get a little bit better, but I'm not going to ever get very good at music. And so worship for me is more fun when I'm doing something physical, when I'm riding my mountain bike or skiing. And so I took on this ideology of, wow, not only am I worshiping consciously when I'm skiing, but even my competitors, some of them are atheists, some of them are agnostic, some of them are believers, but every single one of them is using God's gifts and doing cool things on skis. We're all worshiping, whether we consciously say so or not. And that external focus and, and helping out my competitors, giving them some mental strength, training advice, et cetera, et cetera, uh, has actually really empowered me to be a better skier. It's empowered me to stay in the game longer than, I, than most people expected me to. Um, even the fact that I'm up here considering going on to another Olympics, I think is kind of ridiculous because I didn't think I was going to make it. To, I, honestly, going into 2018, I wasn't sure I was going to make it to 2022. And now here I am like, yeah, maybe I'll stick around. Still got gas in the tank. Um, so there's a slide I'm going to throw up real quick of me and my cute little family. So
So this is 2019. This is right after the video that we watched earlier. And um, uh, in the spring of 2019, I made a little mental miscalculation, landed a little wrong in the wrong spot, and shattered my femur. And it was, I went from being a full-time professional athlete, guy who exercises at least an hour a day, to guy who can't even tie his own shoes. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't put my socks on, actually. Putting my socks on was the hardest part. So my wife, fortunately, was there, and she put my socks on for me for like a month. And we went through so much just difficult stuff. Admittedly, part of why I included this verse about Paul and his trials is because it's good for me to look at that and realize that what I have is not that hard. I'm like, okay, well, I haven't been whipped 39 times, five times. Um, but it was tough, and it really gave me an opportunity to experience joy. It sounds ironic, but I experienced more joy after shattering my femur uh, than I ever had in my life before because I learned to be thankful for the, the small victories. I learned to be thankful for the people around me. Um, as a professional skier, professional athlete, uh, I think I became somewhat obsessed with my own strength, my own ability to do it myself, um, just be the hardest working guy out there, be the best at what I do. And when I had to have somebody else put my socks on for me, I didn't feel very strong. And I think that the, that's true of all of us, is that we're less strong than we'd like to be. Oftentimes, we're less strong than we think we are. And that's what God was reminding me at that time in my life. He was saying, look, you need these people, and you need me. And he was, telling, he was giving me that message that I needed those around me, that I needed the people who love me, as a way of reminding me that I need him. I really needed him more, and I was, I was a little lost. So, story goes on. I recovered as quickly as a guy probably could recover from such a traumatic break. My femur was in multiple pieces. It was, I got a rod. I woke up from the surgery. Uh, the doctor going in said, you know, they were going to cut like from here to here, and they were going to be able to get in there and fix everything. I woke up. I was still by myself. I was in Austria, and I woke up, and I had an incision from my knee to my hip. I was like, that is not what you said. <laughs> so <laughs> I recovered from that and came back, competed the next year, and was still trying. I was trying to get my momentum back. Breaking my femur really stole my momentum, but I was starting to get it back. And right around, you know, late January, I did decently at the X Games are always in January. I did decently at the X Games, but we had a couple more events that year, and I really felt like I had my momentum back. I was like, all right, these last couple contests of the year are going to be great. And then COVID. Everything got canceled, and it was like an open-ended cancellation. It was like, well, all the events for the rest of the season are canceled, and it doesn't look good for us to have any contests next year. And as such, if people, people close to me here and there remind me, hey, you're being a little too militant. Like, yes, we know you want to do the best you can with what you've been given, but you are 
too intense. So being such an intense, focused personality that's always goal-oriented and having no goals was really disorienting for me because I just was lost. I, I, I didn't have motivation to go to the gym. I didn't have motivation to, like, get up and exercise. Uh, I, I started this little random side project where I uh, built a chicken, chicken coop out of old pallets. It's, it sounds weird, but having that small, random project like kind of brought me back to myself. I was like, oh yes, I'm a goal-oriented person. I need to keep doing things to stay healthy. And just how much I learned about joy during a time in my life when I had the least source for happiness was really, really important for me because I didn't win any contests. I didn't make any money for a long time. I was like, so many things that I identified as, I'm a provider, I'm a winner. All those things were removed from me, and yet I still look back on that time in my life with fondness because um, I have a closeness with my wife and with my kids that I never would have had without all that extra time at home. Um, my wife and I, like, I'll be honest, through the first part of the pandemic, I wasn't sure we were going to make it. And I'm going to take most of the blame for that because I was lost, but I was not being a very nice husband. And there were some really rough times. But because of those rough times and because we took those challenges to God, we were able to walk away so much healthier and so much more ready to face anything else that comes. So um, Philippians 3.13 This is going back to that concept of being externally focused because Paul, who has been through all the things on the list I shared previously, is writing this from prison. And I think a guy who's writing from prison uh, could fairly easily be internally focused. Woe is me. Why is this going on? This is unfair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. From the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, dear, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. I love that last line. All of the things that I have been through, the whippings, the beatings, the shipwrecks, have served to bring the good, to spread the good news. Uh, 
I have this new endeavor that I'm doing. It's kind of a mental strength uh, mentorship program. And one of the things that I try to do is help alleviate pressure. So pressure, especially in a competitive sense, is something that most of the time we put on ourselves or we allow others to put on us. So whether or not they intend to, our sponsors, most of the kids I'm talking, most of the, I call them kids, most of the young adults that I'm talking to have sponsorships and parents and everybody wants you to do really well. But what they don't realize is by telling you, I just can't wait for you to win. They're really putting more pressure on you because you're like, oh wow, I have to win now to make you happy and all this. So I'd like to alleviate pressure. So my goal from speaking to you guys today is to give you something that alleviates pressure on yourselves. So in terms of following Jesus, there's a really, it sounds simple. This is another lesson that I'm learning over and over and over again. There's a really simple way to look at it. If you live your life and you focus on glorifying God, you really can't fail. Because God's excellent at glorifying himself in spite of us. He doesn't need our help. He wants our help. So it's um, an ideology for competing that I use. There's a, a get-to mentality or a have-to mentality. And I think sometimes in our Christian walk, I've done this myself, we tell ourselves, I have to be a better Christian because of what God's done for me. I have to be a better husband because, etc., etc. And the reality is we don't have to because God's going to glorify himself regardless of what we do. But we get to. So look at your life this week as an opportunity to glorify God in everything that you do. Whether you are doing the dishes or you're having a deep philosophical conversation with somebody at work you get to live your life to glorify God. And if you truly set that out as your goal, you can't fail. I'm just gonna close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak and I pray that um, all of the things that I said that were meaningless chasing after the wind would just fade from people's memories and that the things that you want them to hear uh, would just settle in and take root. Um, we just praise you. Uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. And uh, I just pray a blessing over everyone within the sound of my voice as they um, go about their weeks and try to glorify you with who they are. Pray this in Jesus' name.